Hello and welcome to the Dog and Duck Show. I am the duck, Mark Schmore, coming to you uh, live on this Wednesday evening is when we're recording. Unfortunately, my my dog co-host, Warren Maynard, is unable to be here tonight. He is on vacation in Florida. He is soaking up the rays. He's kicking up his feet. And so in his place is his fellow Husky super fan, uh, friend of the Dog and Duck show and a past co-host, JJ Vansel. Welcome back to the show, JJ. How are you tonight? Honored to be here, Mark, and represent the dogs. There's no way I could replace the great Warren Maynard. Wish him nothing but the best down in Florida, but it's uh, when I was asked to fill in, it's, it's a real honor to be here. We, we got a text from Warren. Well, we got several texts from Warren this afternoon with with specific thoughts that he wanted shared on his behalf. We may get to those uh, a little later in the show, but but he had specifically said he was, you know, kicking his feet up by the pool and he had just watched the entire Washington Boise game again on his phone and it just filled him with with excitement. So does that kind of describe the state of Washington Husky fans right now? It does kind of capture it sitting by the pool, putting your feet up, potentially a Mai Tai, um, and just basking in, in the, uh, you know, the route that took place on Saturday. Um, so props to you, Warren. And I hope that wasn't the first time you'd watched it in full because it's Wednesday. The game was on Saturday. Um, that we don't know. Was it the no, first I, time you watched it? I'm pretty or, or sure we got some, we got some texts from him mid game at some point, didn't we? Uh, I know that well, he didn't watch it live. Well, let's go didn't back watch it live and so. check the record. Oh, because yeah. yeah. he was traveling. Um, yeah. Well, so JJ, you were in the stadium for the season opener. You you made the drive over from Spokane to Seattle just for this game. So tell me, in terms of somebody that was there uh, in the stadium, taking it all in, what were your expectations going in? And kind of how how did the game unfold compared to those expectations? Well, you know what happened last time? I was at the opening game uh, with expectations riding high. We freaking lost to Montana. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And I was there watching it uh, in person and leaving in a comatose state trying to make sense of what just happened and that certainly became the beginning of a, of a very forgettable season. Um, so you better believe that that was in the back of my mind, uh, even the drive over. Like, I hope I am not driving all the way from Spokane to Seattle to witness another deflating, heartbreaking loss when expectations couldn't be higher. I mean, the Huskies are coming into this game, coming into this season – with uh, thoughts of, of making the college football playoff. We're on the precipice of what is largely the, uh, you know, potentially the greatest Pac-12 season, kind of our swan song as we dissolve as a conference, which, you know, I know we've talked at, at ad nauseum about that. Um, so expectations are high. There was, I will say, an energy in the stands um, that I hadn't, witnessed necessarily you know i've been to other opening games uh usually against a lower level fcs opponent similar to the team that oregon played 
and you know everyone's just kind of there to have a good time but there uh because of the quality of the of the opponent in boise state there was the, kind of this energy um that you know husky fans are expecting a lot this year um but there was definitely that fear in the back of our minds like what if this is another montana game and so when UW started off slow yeah. and and went uh you know both of their first two possessions were punts it was like well it's over this yeah. is it this is it <laughs> like you know there was that kind of collective groaning throughout the stadium um and because i think husky fans um maybe just all sports fans. I can't necessarily, you know, isolate it to just Husky fans have this sense of like, well, the other shoe's going to drop. Like, this is it, you know, this, this is it. This is finally, you know, our expectations are, are going to crash to the ground. So that's, that's uh, a little bit of uh, my expectations going in. I, I, I had full anticipation Mark that the Huskies would win, but uh Definitely in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, what if, what if they don't? I mean, this was – now, it's important to note, this was not just an FCS team like Montana. Yeah. I mean, Boise State, it could be argued that over the last two decades, this is really the premier or one of the premier non-Power 5 conference teams, I mean, uh, especially during the, the Chris Peterson years. Yeah. So, I mean, the spread was 14 and a half points. I was half t- attempted to pick against the spread because, you know, Boise won 10 games last year. Yep. Andy Avalos is a good defensive coach. They, they've they spent all offseason, you know, getting prepared to to, to handle the, the, you know, esteemed Washington offense. They, they bring in a Mountain West Conference freshman of the year at quarterback. They have, you know, a really dynamic running, uh, running back coming back. They're projected to win the Mountain West. So, um as devastating as a loss that this would have been, it certainly would have been exponentially more explainable than losing to losing uh, to Montana. So I expected them to win. I picked them to win. I had confidence that they would win. Um, That certainly happened, but you know, you know, through the first quarter, it was like, what is, what is happening? So. Yeah. And I think watching it kind of from afar, it's like, Oh, Oh, Boise scored first. Oh, the Huskies yep. scored yep. in the first quarter. Yep. And then it's like, oh, the Huskies scored oh. 80 points in the second quarter. <laughs> like, yes. Like, okay. Like we can we can put this one to bed. Like that's uh that that was pretty much the the drama seemed like it had been taken out of it by that point. And it was really interesting. Um I mean, Boise Boise uh you know stopped them on two consecutive drives. UW made very little, you know, got very little yardage on those first two drives. Uh, I think maybe one first down. Penix got sacked, which I know for you know Bo Nix in the, in Oregon yeah. last year, it it took you know uh, what is it less than three times Bo Nix was sacked all year or something like I, that. I, I mean Penix was five. like yeah yeah six or seven times last year, so he gets sacked on the first drive for a three and out, and it's like what um what the heck what the heck happened here um and actually it's funny as as uh DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have spoken to the press uh that ultimately wasn't anybody's fault um other than the wide receivers Jalen McMillan actually admitted to running the wrong route mm. um 
and so Penix had nowhere to go and ended up trying to scramble and, and got tackled. Um, but then Boise State gets the ball their second time go you know go around and they throw a 40 yard pass um, which as a husky fan you're going the greatest weakness of our team last year was our secondary right. and we just got to suppose again a couple chunk plays and then missed tackles and then all of a sudden we're up you know we're down we're down a touchdown um and so I honestly you're going in just in the back of your mind okay our weakness is the secondary uh, if our passing game can't get figured out, then gosh, this could be a long day. And there's really only one, gosh, you know, don't quote me on this. I think there was just one regular season game all year last year that the Huskies didn't score on their first drive. Um, so a stall to stall a bit was, was definitely unsettling. Um, but as we, as we, you know, as we know from the first quarter on, uh, the Huskies are driving at the tail end of the first quarter, right? So they get down into the goal line and then the quarter turns over. Um, they score the touchdown. And then from then on, I don't think it could have gone better yeah. um, as a Husky fan. Pretty automatic. Well, so, um, so I guess that you, you mentioned kind of the discomfort with the defense early that I think coming into the season, there's certainly an expectation with Penix and all of these receivers that like the Huskies offense is going to be fine. Yeah. Okay. So they have a quarter where they didn't score, but like overall, they're going to be fine. I think we all expect them to put up a ton of points this year to be among the, you know, national leaders and all of these yeah. relevant categories. I think the biggest question in terms of like the ceiling of this team revolves around the defense do you feel like they got enough of a test from Boise for you to have some of those questions answered? Do you still have some of those questions because of how Boise was able to, to get some things going at times? Like where, where are you at right now in terms of just your feelings about the Washington defense and its ability to kind of hold up its end of the bargain? Well, I think, you know, as I referenced the secondary last year was so porous. Um, you know, we watched it during the Oregon game last year. Um, teams that could really, uh, you know, target the secondary were, were really successful. And there's just not a lot of, uh, um, yeah, not a lot of success on the, on that side of the field. I, as a Husky fan, walked away feeling pretty dang encouraged by our secondary. You know, I, I think, you know, I, that, you know, Boise state's quarterback, Taylor green, he missed some passes. Yeah. Some receivers definitely dropped some passes. They, they weren't doing themselves any favors. Um, but the secondary really stiffened up. Um, the, the lone weakness on the Husky secondary was uh, number 25, Elijah Jackson. And he was, he had two pass interference calls. I think uh, receivers and, and green were four for four targeting him. He gave up the 45 yard touchdown. He missed two key tackles uh, leading to both of Boise state's touchdowns, but he got replaced mid game by Devon banks. And the banks is this undersized cornerback. And I think he had over the course of the game four, you know, 
PBUs, past breakups. Wow. And that was really encouraging to see. Uh, we brought in this transfer from Oklahoma State, Jabbar Muhammad. He was as advertised, uh, you know, was kind of a lockdown corner. So if you can get that short up, um, I feel really good about where our defense is. Time will tell whether or not Boise State has a an offense, you know, that, that can yeah. score on other teams. But, uh, you know, the one strength we had last year was our was our pass rush. We didn't I – mean, we got one sack. Um, but – and I think there was a sense of like, oh, man, um, why aren't we getting the pressure needed? But uh, this is a running quarterback. And so I think the assignment for our defense was to contain, yeah. um, not let them get outside the tackle box. So I honestly, I walked away pretty pleased about defense. I think there's plenty of room to improve, but just based on a small sample size, the, the, uh, this was an area that they improved mm. this last off season. So. Yeah. And you, you know, your point about the pass rush, uh, sometimes I think we look at just like the stat statistic and say, Oh, they didn't have any sacks. They must not have done a great job rushing the passer, but this, this, the quarterback for Boise was 19 for 39. He completed less yeah. than 50% yeah. of his passes, yeah. which tells me that there's a lot of times where he's getting rid of the ball yeah. much earlier than he would like to, because he's feeling something from somewhere. So that pass rush can show up in, in different ways, you know, depending yeah. on the opponent. What, so what? here's what I'm, Mark. I'm, I I think you'll appreciate this because because uh, you know back in the heyday of Oregon's, uh, you know, kind of rise to prominence. Oregon's offense was so prolific that their defense didn't need to win the game, and so it allowed the defense to play a little reckless. Yeah. It allowed them to jump routes. It allowed them to, you know, uh, you know, blitz the quarterback often. Yeah. Um, because they go, you know what? We might give up a touchdown or two or three or four. I remember one game that Oregon played. I think it was against Arizona. I think it was when Foles was there. Maybe or maybe not. Some quarterback. And it just was a haymaker after haymaker. Oregon's given up huge plays. Arizona's given up huge plays. And then eventually Oregon got that one or two turnovers in a row. And then yeah. now it's a three or four touchdown deficit for Arizona. And they couldn't keep up. Yeah. I want that for, for Washington's defense. Like having so much trust in the ability for 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 Penix and the offense to score kind of at will that they can be running all over the field, jumping routes, going for the quarterback, you know, and if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. The yeah. confidence that the offense will, will come down the next, the next drive and score and, and compensate for that mistake. Um, that's what I kind of, you know, would, would be fun to have for our defense, you know, turn, get, get some turnovers, get some big plays and then allow the offense to just cook. Yeah, if your offense is doing its part, the defense doesn't have to be a brick wall. The defense just has to – they have to be timely. They have to, you know, they have to be opportunistic. Um, and like you said, it's it's not necessarily the shutting the team out all game, but it's 
it's getting the three stops in a row on consecutive possessions that just kind of turns turns the momentum of the game on its yep. head. So uh yeah, it'll be interesting to see if 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 they can develop that over the course of the season. I, I want to zoom out for a little bit just because um we don't get you on every week. Uh but obviously we are longtime friends. This uh the fate of these two football teams has been a topic of conversation for much of our friendship. Uh, so I've seen you through some really dark stages <laughs> of Husky football. Lots of dark times, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, now coming into a stage where I think we're in agreement, the Huskies have a really, really good team coming in. I think there's reason to have really high expectations. At the same time, I don't think we've ever seen the conference this loaded from top to bottom. And uh, this much reason for optimism across the league as a whole. So, what are your what are your expectations for this team right now, coming into a new season, having just seen them play a fantastic first game against a quality opponent? What what would you consider a successful season for the Washington Huskies this year? Well, I think those are actually you know I think. I'll, I'll approach that from and actually answering two different answers for this question. So one expectations two is what would be considered a successful season. Um, man, you hit the nail on the head there. This is from top to bottom, the most impressive pack 12, you know, uh, talent, uh, and, and, and quality uh, of teams that we we've ever had. Um, and so when it comes to expectations, I think there's, there's a, you know, there's going to be disagreement. I think, I think UW is the best team in the PAC 12. Um, so with that, can, I think um, you get the defense short up, you get a prolific offense. Um, I don't think teams are going to be able to figure out what grub and Penix are cooking. Um, so expectations wise, I think this team is a college football playoff team. Um, mm. I think they have every, that uh, the path is there. I think a PAC 12 team is going to make the college football playoff this year. Um, and I would love for that to be the Washington Huskies. But factoring the fact that every I mean, honestly, from top to bottom, every team we play and every team that Oregon plays, it'll be a tough out. There's no weeks off once the Pac-12 season starts, conference play starts. So expectations, I go, I would expect this team to go 12-1, and 11-1 in the regular season, and then win the conference championship game. But there's so many variables that factor into all. I mean, everything has to line up perfectly um, for that to happen. Um, win the games, the close games, the nail biters, um, show up on the road, not dropping a game like we did last year to Arizona State. But what would I consider a successful season? Is I think a successful season um, – would be making the Pac-12 championship game. Um, and we can make that game uh, at 10 and two, um, 
or I guess would it be ten and two or would be nine and anyway? Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it'd be ten and two. I think if we make the Pac-12 championship game, it's a successful season, even though um, I think the the expectations would be that this team uh, loses one game all 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 uh, all season long, wins the Pac-12 championship, makes the college football playoff. Yeah, I think I think that's reasonable. I think given the talent on hand, given the fact that you have a quarterback who, when all is said and done, might be the best quarterback in school history. You have a receiving core that, when all is said and done, I mean, could we could be talking about them as one of the best receiving cores like ever? You know, I mean, I I don't we we can get into that, but like I've I've started to do the math. I've started to do the comparisons, like. And I'm saying this as a Duck fan who is pretty optimistic about the Ducks. And I'm looking as you should be. But I'm looking across at the Huskies and saying this is a really this is this is a really loaded team. Um well, well, and I'll say I'll say, Mark, we as Husky fans look across, you know, look south and we go, that is a really good Oregon team. Um and one note about the receivers, I mean, when McMillan and uh Roma Dunze were recruited to UW, there was this collective enthusiasm about, you know, the two, two of the most highly rated wide receivers to ever join um, UW. And then we hit the John Donovan years. Um, and <laughs> enough said there. Right, and right. man, what a waste of talent. Um, and so to bring in DeBoer and Grubb and Penix, I'm really happy for them. And they're going to have, they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to cash out. They're going to be top draft picks. Uh, Penix is going to be a top draft pick. Um, it is a pretty remarkable wide receiver core. I mean, as Warren texted us today, there could be 3000 yard receivers. Right. Um, and if, Saturday's game is any indication. The run game was was uh, you know mediocre and vanilla at best. Just open up the passing game. Why do we need a balanced offense? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I just kind of want to frame this for our listeners a little bit because the, these are the types of things, the questions that I obsess over. So you know, Michael Penix he threw five touchdowns pretty without breaking a sweat. Uh, and I start to go into the direction of like, well, what what could his legacy be, right? He is currently sixth all-time in UW history in just over a season with six touchdown passes, which is already more than every other Husky quarterback except for five guys, okay? And if he stays healthy this year and has what the type of season that we're expecting him to have, he should easily pass Brock Heward, who he's he's 15 behind Brock Heward right now, and he's 17 behind Jake Locker and Cody Pickett. And so, again, if he stays healthy and simply does what he did last year, we're talking about him moving into the top three. If he has a monster season, if he throws 40 touchdown passes this season, you know, he could threaten to pass Keith Price, who's second on that list at 75 touchdown passes. 
he's not going to catch Jake Browning. Jake Browning was a starter for three whole seasons, and one of those seasons was four seasons. Four, four seasons, uh, three really good seasons um, for the Huskies. One really monster season for for Jake Browning. So he's not going to catch Browning in terms of career stats, but I think in terms of like the feeling of who the greatest quarterback is in school history, it does seem like another great year from Penix, especially if it involves the things you're talking about, Pac-12 title, college football playoff berth, Heisman trophy, you know, is, is I think out there in the ether. Like, uh, so he's, he's going to put himself into that conversation. Um, um, you know, with whoever it would be, is it Marcus Tuyazasopo? Is it, like Warren Moon, you know, I don't even necessarily know who else would be yeah. in that conversation in terms of historical significance, but like Michael Penix, I think could be the guy when all is said and done, right? No, without question, Mark. I think even regardless, I, I think Penix is going to have a monster year um, if he stays healthy. Um. Will we will we make the college football playoff? Will he win the Heisman? Will we will we even, you know, exceed our record last year? All those things aside, I think he has a phenomenal year if he stays healthy, which is always a question mark. I think he will be the greatest passer in UW history. Will he be the greatest quarterback? I don't think he'll be on the same legendary status as some of these other names just because he was a transfer. And, and gave two years. Um, but if he gets, you know, I, I think he is the best Utah passer in history. Um, just sheer ability to th- throw the ball. I don't care if you're a Duck fan, Cougar fan. You can't watch Michael Penix and go and not go, man, that is a pretty ball. Like he just slings yeah. it all over the field. Right. So. He, he, you know, he passes that that eye test. He's got that kind of moxie, that swagger. Obviously, pretty amazing, you know, amazing pairing with with an offensive mind like DeBoer and Ryan Grubb. Um, he's he is in the upper echelon of 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 UW greats, with without a doubt. So, well, and, and that goes along with this trio of right wide receivers who all yeah. had huge games against Boise. And so if we're talking about, um, you know, I've been doing a little bit of digging in terms of like, there are some all time great duos that I'm not sure any group of two Washington receivers are going to approach. Probably the best example is a couple of years ago when LSU had Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson. Oh, oh gosh. Which are two of the best wide receivers in the NFL in the NFL right now. Yeah. And Joe Burrow was throwing arguably the, the top two. Yeah. And he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Now. I mean, that team was loaded. Joe Burrow had 60 touchdown passes that year. Uh, might be the greatest offensive team of our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going to get those numbers as a duo, but, but to potentially have 3000 yard receivers is pretty rare air. Now I, I can't say that I looked at every single division one, team in search of this like of all time but the only team that i could find that produced three thousand yard receivers in the same season you're gonna love this was 2007 hawaii okay cole brennan Brennan, yeah led them to an undefeated regular season 
and they had 3,000 yard receivers and then a fourth receiver who had 859 yards and he was the fourth option. Um, so obviously, did they Hawaii, run the ball once? Yeah, Hawaii was was ridiculous in terms of the amount of passes they were throwing every game. Um, although I think Michael Penix probably will throw a similar amount that Colt, Colt Brennan threw 510 passes. I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Penix gets around there by the end of the regular season. Uh, the other one I wanted to worth, uh, mention is two years ago, Ohio State had a really dynamic trio. Jackson Smith and Jigba had over 1,600 yards. Jeez. Now in the NFL, Garrett Wilson now in the NFL had over a thousand yards, and then Chris Olave had just under a thousand yards, had nine hundred and thirty-six yards, and um, Olave and Wilson didn't play in every game. Uh, wow. So that's the kind of company that this group of Washington receivers is kind of threatening to be in. Is is to be it with with a group of maybe two or three other trios that performed at this kind of level. So this is something that we're going to be monitoring just from like a statistical output all season is like, can they, are they mm -hmm. on pace as a trio, you know, to, to reach that goal of, of 3000 yard receivers. So that's, that's going to be a lot of fun for those of us that just like tracking stats. Do you know, did, did the late great, you know, uh, Mike Leach ever ever get uh, a handful of thousand yard receivers? You know the the best year that I saw from Mike Leach was he had a year where he had Michael Crabtree and Danny Amendola. Okay, and both of them just had monster seasons. I think I think Crabtree had over eighteen hundred yards and Amendola had like over twelve hundred and was the second option. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so together, those guys, you know, I think combined for over three thousand. But it was just the two of them. Um, you know, Wes Welker had some big years for Texas Tech back in the day, but I, I don't think he had. Uh, I, I didn't find any where Mike Leach had, you know, a trio of guys throwing yeah. these kind of numbers. So interesting stuff. Yeah, that's no. It, it'll it'll definitely be something we're keeping our eye on. So yeah, for sure. Well, hey, we, I mean, we are the dog and duck show. We've spent a lot of time talking oh, about yeah. dogs. We do have some some duck stuff to talk about. Uh, I was just going to kind of bypass last week and look ahead to next week for the Ducks because this past week, Oregon played Portland State. It was a, a monumental blowout, 81 to 7, an Autzen Stadium scoring record for the Ducks. Uh, poor Puddles had to do a lot of push ups. <laughs> A lot of push-ups. But with everything. And so I, I was just going to bypass this, but uh, JJ, you said you wanted to linger on uh, the, the Oregon-Portland State game for a moment. So what what did you have on your mind regarding this? Well, game? you know, they, they flashed the score up on the, on, on the, you know, the big screen at Husky Stadium uh, after the game had ended. I think everybody knew Oregon was going to wipe the floor at Portland State. But when 81 to 7 showed up, there was definitely a collective gasp. <laughs> and everyone was like, 81 points? Um, and internally, I turned to our buddy Joel and I was like, oh, man, I really hope Lanning was just padding stats. <laughs> like, I really hope that there's going to be all this Twitter press 
about Lanning, who's got Knicks going through halfway through the fourth quarter, throwing <laughs> bombs, you know, running trick plays, doing two-point conversions, and, like, wouldn't take his pedal off the metal. Um, and sure enough, that didn't happen. Yeah. Pulls Knicks after the first drive of the third quarter, goes, you know, goes into three, four deep, um, Portland State had no I mean I I don't know gosh I think my question that I wanted to linger on is like what value is this game at all for anybody as a duck fan like do you look at 81-7 and you just you know beat your chest and go that's how good we are or you're like we didn't really get better. Is this a glorified scrimmage? Is this an opportunity to work on, you know, plays and execution and, and, you know, all that. What's your take on how to make sense of the value of that game for the ducks? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think there is a minimal value to just having an opponent that, and you have to tackle guys to the ground and you have to, like you said, execute plays and do all that against a live group of bodies. Um, I guess there's value in that. Um, I, if, if all of these FCS games disappeared tomorrow, I would not shed a tear. Uh, there was a time, JJ, where there were three programs in the country that were kind of the holdouts that had never played an FCS opponent. And UW was one of them. Okay. USC was one of them and Notre Dame was the other one. And now Washington has started playing FCS opponents. We mentioned Montana, mighty Montana. Uh, I noticed this past weekend that Notre Dame was playing Tennessee state. And I don't know about USC. USC might be the lone holdout that has not yet uh, gone the route of, of just scheduling an FCS doormat, but uh I don't think it has a whole lot of value. There's not a whole lot that I can take away from it and kind of say, um, oh, you know, because they did this against Portland State, it means X, Y, or Z. Like, I think this next game against Texas Tech is going to answer so many more questions yeah. about Oregon than than the Portland State game. With that said, I will tell you that I, I distinctly remember in, in 2010, which was Chip Kelly's second year at the helm of Oregon. I was in Europe for a couple of weeks at the beginning of that season. And that season started, they played New Mexico. I, I watched the New Mexico game just before I left uh, for a couple of weeks. They beat New Mexico 72 to nothing. Then they go on the road to Tennessee while I was overseas. They beat Tennessee by 35. They beat them 48 yep. to 13 at Neyland Stadium. Then they I came believe back. they were down 14 nothing in that game, weren't they? Uh, they may have been. They may have been. Uh, yeah. And then they came back and they played Portland State and they beat Portland State 69 to nothing. So they had New Mexico <laughs> Portland State combined. They beat them 100. Oh, and I do remember thinking, like, oh, this team feels a little different. Like, this yeah. is not like 56 to 14 is one thing, but like when you're just routinely beating team 70 yeah. it it told me something about 
the depth, it told me something about like how hard the team was expecting guys to play if they got on the field. Like there was just something about like um just the fact the fact that it was like we're going to score every single time and we're not gonna let them score ever. And there's gonna be no exceptions to that. I do remember that giving me a little jolt. I haven't, I have not felt that about any FCS game since. I didn't feel it about this one because we let Portland State score in the opening drive. Yeah. So, yeah. so I didn't have that same sense about this one. But, but there was that one year that I remember when just kind of feeling like 141 to nothing feels pretty good. Like, yeah, pretty good. And <laughs> you did beat Eastern Washington, which is a better. You beat them seventy to fourteen. Yes, last year. Yeah, and that was a little like I'm pissed off after getting blown out by Georgia. Right. You know, um, but there's no doubt you score eighty one points. Ducks are good. Ducks have got some players. You know, I watched the highlights of that game. Portland State looked like you were playing. You know, like the the state championship football team was was playing the you know the freshman team. Uh, of the school down the road. I mean, just size-wise, Oregon, you know, so exponentially bigger and faster and stronger than Portland State. I feel bad for the Vikings. I I can't consider that, you know, how do you consider that a a win for them at all? Yeah. But one of the things that's hard about this game is is if you're the team playing them, it's like a lose-lose, right? Because you – if you – like, for instance, you even just mentioned – I don't feel great about this because Portland State came down and scored on the first drive. Right. You know, but then you scored 70 straight points. Um, But let's say the game turned out to be like 45 to 20. You as a Duck fan are going, oh, my gosh. We suck. Yeah. You know, like, man, they, 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 they scored three times. We could barely move the ball. You know, it should be a route. So it's, you know. But if you blow them out like that, 81 to 7, everyone's like, geez, Oregon, yeah. relax. Right. It's a small school from, you know, you're, you know, from Portland. Like, let them, you know, give them a break. How rude of Lanning to just keep the, you know, the, the, the foot on the gas. So I don't know. Those are hard to tell. Um, might as well just put a, you know, spring game out there, have the Oregon teams play against each other for a day and call it a forfeit. So, <laughs> well, you know, um, Here's one one interesting kind of angle on this team that I do think uh, maybe answers your question a little bit, and that is seeing who the coaches decide to give playing time to and who they don't give playing time to. So in this particular game, uh, there were some surprises in terms of the guys that took the field in the starting lineup. For instance, they had at their jack linebacker, which is kind of their edge rusher position, they had Amari and Winston, who's a redshirt freshman, uh, he took the field first and he got the start. And then they were playing two other freshmen, Mateo Ugalele and Blake Purchase. So they were going with pretty much all freshmen on huh. the edge rushing. From the start of the game. From the start of the game. Wow. And uh and meanwhile, like Brandon Dorless, who's Oregon's best returning defensive lineman, didn't play until the second quarter. And I don't know if there was maybe a, a minor disciplinary issue yeah. there. I don't know if there was some sort of a message being sent about practice habits or whatnot. But it's it was interesting to me that it was like, we're going to put this guy out there and he's going to get the reps. 
And this guy who is expected to be kind of one of their best players is not going to come in the game right away. Similarly, uh, Bryce Betcher, who is the center fielder on the baseball team and a walk-on on the football team, basically got the start at middle linebacker. And part of that was was injury-related. Justin Jacobs, a transfer from Iowa, I think everybody expects to be the starter from Iowa or starter at linebacker when he's healthy. But but Betcher was listed as like fourth string, and he's mm. getting the start. And a lot of that, I think, is that the journalists for Oregon aren't really allowed into the practices, so they're not seeing who's taking these reps. So a lot of kind of who we think of as being on the Oregon depth chart is really just a guessing game. But I do wonder if Dan Lanning was using this Portland State game a little bit as like, I'm going to, I don't want any sort of complacency amongst guys that think they've earned a starting spot to think that that can't be taken away from them. So I'm going to start a few guys that have been killing it mm-hmm. to send a message that if you want to, if you want to start, you're going to have to earn it every single week and that, that it's not something that's just going to be handed to you. Uh, so I, I am kind of interested in the psychological yeah. of of who played when they played and and what that might signal about this team. It'll be interesting to see if any of that carries over to Texas Tech. Well, that would be similar to the way Pete Carroll runs his teams. Every right. week's a competition. Right. Your job is always at risk. Yeah. You know, you've got to show up every day, every week. Can't be complacent. I mean, there's no doubt. Oregon's got dudes. Um, it'll be interesting to see if those same freshmen take the field uh, against Texas Tech. Indeed, indeed. Well, let's let's talk about that Texas Tech game. So ne- this coming week, uh, Washington hosts. They're they're at home, right? They host. Yep. Uh, and I mean, I guess we can touch on this briefly. Anything you're looking for in this game? I mean, with how well Washington played against Boise. Is there any sort of thing that you're looking at as like, well, I want to see how they do this against Tulsa? Or is it more just I want them to play well and not not get injured? <laughs> no doubt, Mark. Let's stay healthy. Um, I'd love to see Penix not play the 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 second half or or at minimum not play the fourth quarter. I think if the one lone area of concern is is the Washington run game. Let's be honest, at no point during last year did any Husky fan say, oh, man, we just really established the run that game. Like, Mm -hmm. it was always a pass-first offense, um, or at least pass-heavy offense. That's where the the bulk of the the offense came from. But we still need a a run run, uh, offense. Um, Obviously, losing Cam Davis to injury hurts a lot. Um, The... Next up is Dylan Johnson, who's a transfer from Mich- uh, Mississippi State. He's coming off an injury. He did not run well. He caught a, he caught a couple passes out of the backfield, uh, had some momentum there. But the surprise was our kind of second string running back, Will Nixon. He had some good burst, had some good yardage. So I think I'd love to see us take take the step forward with establishing a run game, getting some clarity on who the first string is. Um, and maybe it's a running back by committee um, and use a team like Tulsa to, to work out some of the kinks. So that's really, I don't think there's any concern that we're going to lose this game. Um, 
Tulsa but, did beat uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff forty-two to seven. Really? So, All right. Uh, they they apparently have some players. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like that, but that uh, was Arkansas Pine Bluff High School. I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. Well, so yeah. Uh, let's let's spend some time on this this Oregon Texas Tech game because this is the first real challenge that we're going to see from the Ducks. And I know I'll be watching it, of course, as a passionate supporter. And I'm sure you will at some point have Tune it in. on uh, as in, in kind of a voyeuristic way of, of wanting to see if, if there are some chinks in the armor that could be exposed or wanting to see if there's some weaknesses on the, on the Oregon side of things. Let me, let me start here, JJ, T- Texas tech lost their opener as a, uh, you know, multiple touchdown favorite. They lost in double overtime to Wyoming. Blew a 17-point lead. Had a 17-0 lead to start the game. Let Wyoming come back and take the lead. Got it into overtime. Lost it in, in double overtime. Um, just a kind of a terrible performance all the way around. They missed, I think they missed three field goals. Uh, there were just all kinds of things that went wrong in a, in a raucous Wyoming environment. Do you think... Like philosophically, does this make Texas Tech now more difficult as an opponent because they're coming off of a loss and feeling a little bit of like this is a chance to salvage our season now is to try to score this big win? Or is it more just a sense of, well, they lost to Wyoming. Like they're not, maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. Well, for one, let's acknowledge that Laramie, Wyoming might be one of the more underrated college towns in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, nod to Josh Allen. Um, I mean, I texted this to you. Does this make you more, are you, are you feeling more comfortable or more nervous about this game now? Cause I know this game is keeping you up at night, or at least when you look at the schedule, you're like, Oh gosh, I'm nervous about this game going down to Lubbock. That's, that's a big trip going to middle of nowhere. Yeah. Night game, you know, good atmosphere you know, in in the heart of Western Texas. I think personally the Ducks should just, should feel just fine. I think it's an indicator that Texas Tech is not that great. Um, You don't lose those games that you should lose, that you should win. Um, They might give them, you know, I think there's some, there's some, uh, you know, some storylines. You got Tyler Shook, former Oregon quarterback, you got Tim DeRuiter, former defensive coordinator. They're going to be hungry for a win. But no, I, I personally think Oregon wipes the floor with them. But going back to you, how do you feel as an Oregon fan about this game in light of their loss to Wyoming? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because you, you brought it up just before we started recording. We were talking about Colorado and their surprising win over TCU and how much more of a threat they feel like in the Pac-12 than they did a week ago. And and what you said to me is, I would think you're feeling a lot more concerned about Colorado and less concerned about Texas Tech. And I think that's a good way of putting it, is that like I circled five games at the beginning of the year, Washington, Utah, USC, Oregon State, and Texas Tech, and kind of said, this is going to determine our season – and now I'm not necessarily not circling Texas Tech anymore, but I'm definitely adding Colorado 
And it does feel like I'm probably a little more nervous about the Colorado game than the Texas Tech game. But I'm still pretty ner- I'm still nervous about a Texas Tech game because it's a road game against against a decent team and and just you know you never know until you're until you see the guys take the field. I do think that hearing some of Lanning's comments this week, uh, you know, Oregon is going to have to win some big games on the road if they want to have a, a great season. They, they play Washington on the road, they play Utah on the road. Those are two incredibly difficult places to play. And so it does seem like they're looking at this game as like, awesome. We get to go play a good team in a tough place. Somebody said to Dan Lanning, like, hey, it might be like 100 degrees. And he's just like, great. Like, mm-hmm. like they, they, they want it as loud as possible. They want it as, um, as difficult of an environment as possible because they really want to be tested. And I think that's the right approach. I think that's the right approach is to just say like, we want them upset. We want them feeling like, you know, they've circled us and and that they're coming after us. Like, bring it on. So um I'm still not gonna feel great until the game kicks off and I and I see what kind of, you know, effort they put forth on the first couple series. But uh I think I'm probably feeling a little more confident since since this team lost to Wyoming. Gosh, I might remember. there's yeah. <laughs> It could have been that they were looking past Wyoming. They'd circled Oregon. Uh, they got caught flat-footed, and they're going to be ready to go. Um, you, you know, the historical comp for this for Duck fans is, uh, well, it was 2007, Michigan lost their opener to Appalachian State. And then the very next week, Oregon had to go to the big house. And I that in that case, I was very much like, this is not good for Oregon we're going to get a very fired up Michigan team. They clearly overlooked their first opponent. And then Oregon went into the big house and just smoked. Yeah. Clobbered them. Michigan. Uh, so I, it's probably best to just not like fear the worst and to just be confident. Like, Hey, I think, I think they're going to play well. So. Did uh, you see this Twitter video by chance of this Texas tech player that's like petitioning for the fans to show up? We're, you know, like, I know we let you down, oh, but we're still committed. Please show up on Saturday. Uh, it reeked of desperation. So, yeah. I don't know. I think you're catching a Texas Tech team that that's doubting themselves. Um, could very well be wrong. Um, they might they might rally and unite around this kind of shared cause of redeeming their season by taking down the Ducks. But uh, I think more often than not, losses tend to uh, – you know, kind of compound. Yeah. So. I I think if I'm looking at it from a perspective of, um, okay, so now they're facing a real opponent. Um, what am I looking for? I think I would put this question to you the same way of like, what are you looking for as a, as someone who's going to play the ducks later on down the road? Um, and so I was trying to think like offensively, defensively, what is one thing on each side? And I think on, on the offensive side, I'm thinking primarily about um, pass protection. You mentioned last year, Bo Nix only got sacked five times. I mean, Oregon really had, in many ways, a historically good offensive line last year. They've got a lot of new faces, but they've got a lot of new faces with some real experience. I think they feel really good about this unit. Uh, But I also know Texas Tech has a couple real active edge rushers that are – 
figure to be a problem for teams in the Big 12 this year. And so I think this is going to be a, a good test in that regard of of can they can they protect the quarterback at the standard that has been set for them? You know, that that's the overwhelming question for Oregon this year. I think there's reason to feel good about the quarterback, reason to feel good about the running backs, reason to feel good about the receivers. Like, I mean, I think this is a pretty loaded skill position offensive unit. It's just the the lingering question there of like, is this offensive line capable of of meeting that standard? And so that's that's the first thing that I'm going to look for on the offensive side. Anything if, if you think about when the Ducks have the ball, anything that that you'll be you'll be looking for if you happen to turn this game on? Oh, I mean, I think uh, I I think you feel pretty confident what Bucky Irvin is is able to do on the ground. Uh, I think you got a prolific running back core. Obviously, Troy Franklin good wide receiver, but I'd be interested in whether or not you can move the ball in the air um, on a, on a consistent basis. Uh, and I just kind of want to, I want to size you guys up. I didn't watch the game against Portland state. I want to figure out, okay, who are the new weapons? Um, yeah. And, and, and so forth. So. Yeah. Three, three new receivers, one, a transfer from USC and Gary Brown yeah. a transfer from Alabama, Treshawn Holden, and then Tez Johnson, who's Bonix's brother, adopted brother. Uh, all Very three cool. of them figure to factor really heavily into the offense. So um, that'll definitely be an interesting thing to watch. On the defensive side, I think that's where probably there's a few more questions to be answered. Uh, and I've got questions at all three levels with Oregon. It's like, can they rush the passer better? Can they get off the field on third down on those like third and mediums? You know, can they get up on a receiver and, and keep them from getting an easy completion on third and eight? Uh, can the linebackers, you know, move in space uh, and track guys down? So I, it's hard for me to settle on one thing. I think I'm just more like, is the defense going to play better? Like that's, that's all I'm asking for. Like, that is that is the question. Yeah. Can boy genius Dan Lanning, defensive guru, uh, put a competitive unit on the field? But I think as a Duck fan, that's where you look at last year and go, that did not live up to expectations. It's I, I feel like the number is like it's like if they keep him in the teens, that's good. And if it gets beyond that, then it's it's less, it's you're less comfortable. Mm. Like, like if Oregon wins 42 to 17. Oh, you're feeling great. I'll feel really great. If Oregon wins like 52 to 24, I'm going to be a little less like, eh, like 24 points, you know, gosh, they let him move the ball a little too much. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I feel like it's, it's right there in that, in that range of like high teens is okay low 20s is less okay yeah this is going to be a fascinating year i think both washington and oregon and maybe every pac-12 team got better on both sides of the of the ball like i think oregon washington's offense is going to be better than it was last year I think Washington's defense is going to be better than it was last year. And I think most teams, you know, just based upon a small sample size have gotten better 
in all areas of the game. So, man, I'm really looking forward to to seeing how this plays out. I have no idea how it's going to play out. These are two – Washington and Oregon are two really, really good football teams. Both have eyes set on the Pac-12 championship, college football playoff. Both have the capacity to do that. But can't you know? Gosh, I I just don't know. It is it is uh it's crazy. Are are you of the mind right now? So Oregon and Washington are slated to play in early October. Um, they both have five games heading into that. That you know when we charted out at the beginning of the year, it was like, well, there's a pretty good chance that both teams are five and zero. Oh. Not 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 uh, guaranteed. Not guaranteed for on either side. Uh. There's one or two stumbling blocks, you know, um, for both of those teams, but uh, but five and zero seems like a possibility. Is that something that you're actively rooting for, or would you rather see Oregon take a loss before they play the Husky, or would it be more fun for you to see undefeated versus undefeated? Oh, I and and hopefully you 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 resonate with this. I want Oregon to lose every game. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd want Oregon to lose every game. Um, but for the sheer entertainment value, um, 5-0 Oregon, 5-0 Washington, mid-October, ESPN Game Day is going to be there. Probably both top 10 teams. Um, we in our history as fans had, had would never – we would have never had a game of this magnitude before the nerves, the conversation, the jitters leading up to the game. I don't even know if I would be able to stand during the opening game. I mean, I'd be so nervous. That's what I want. Um, Just, just as a sports fan, I want Oregon and Washington to both be undefeated. And at the same time, if you turn on the Texas tech game and Oregon's trailing by seven, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. Yeah, you're going to be rooting for Texas Tech. Don't you feel the same way? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in a vacuum, yes, I want to see them undefeated. And at the same time, like if Michigan State's up two scores early in the game, I'm going to be dancing in my house, cheering for the Spartans. So, um, well, just just imagine that, though. Top 10, Oregon, Washington. Beautiful October day in Seattle. Husky Stadium is packed to the gills. I mean, this is this is the stuff we we live for. Yeah. Yeah. So and we've had some good good matchups now the past. I mean, we've had a, a few now where both teams came in with with rankings, but I we haven't had one quite like that. Uh, well, and building off of an all-time game last year. I mean, right. it obviously uh, worked out in the Huskies' favor. Um, but that was the best game of our rivalry. Yeah. And so to have it, you know, with – yeah. With – yeah, I don't know. I can't – I can go on how excited I am about that possibility. So. Well, let's um, let's wrap it up here. I want I, – yeah. I just want to take – two minutes here to think about the rest of the Pac-12. So the Pac-12 was the only conference to make it through week one without a loss. 
Uh, they're definitely going to take a week loss in uh, a loss in week two because Stanford and USC play one another. So somebody's going to lose. But um, as as we kind of look at the lay of the land, we knew coming in, we kind of talked about like the big four. You've got USC and Utah and you've got Washington and Oregon, right? And they all look the part thus far. Washington obviously was dominant against a good Boise team. Utah really took care of business against Florida, even though Utah was playing their backup quarterback. Didn't seem to matter. They dominated that game. Florida looked terrible. Yeah, Florida looks looks like a train wreck. Uh, some questions that seem to be answered. Oregon State seems to have a real quarterback now with DJ Ugalele, who had a higher passer rating in his first game for the Beavers than he ever had at Clemson. Uh so that question pretty affirmatively. You have UCLA has already pulled the trigger and moved to their true freshman, Dante Moore, who came in and immediately. Former Duck recruit. <laughs> Former Duck. Threw a couple touchdown passes uh, against Coastal Carolina. Um, and he seems, you know, to be the real deal. And then you've got this Colorado thing. Uh, I mean, I'm counting, JJ, I'm counting seven, like, contenders now, seven teams that feel like they're they're all in the top 27 of the AP poll. UCLA is sitting just outside and the others receiving votes. But seven of the top 27 teams in the country, I mean, that is a gauntlet. And then there's a whole second tier of Washington State. Cam Ward just threw for 450 yards in their season opener. Cal 451, by the way, one more than Penix. 451, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so Cam Ward just had an incredible day for Washington State. Uh, they play Wisconsin this week, so we'll find out a little more about them. Cal scored 50 points for the first time in the in the uh, Justin Wilcox era, so it looks like they finally have an offense to match up with with what is has been a pretty good defense in the Wilcox era. They play Auburn this week in a game that's going to tell us a lot more. Uh, we still don't really know what we get out of the Arizona schools, but they both have big games this week as well. I mean, how do you make sense of all of this? Like, it it really is just a sense of there is there is no weeks off, right? You know, maybe Stanford, nope. maybe. No, but Stanford, you know, they they looked like they had an offense. They took care of Hawaii um, with Troy yeah, Taylor. Yeah, hurry up offense seemed to be efficient. Yeah. No, I, I don't think, you know, if, if you're looking at this, yeah, you have your big four of, of USC, Utah, Washington, Oregon. Um, the jury is still out on Colorado. Even though they're the, the bell of the ball, um, we could talk that length about Prime and what he's done, you know, the program, but – Biggest game of the year, you know, beating TCU. We have no idea how good TCU is. Um, so we really have no idea how good Colorado is. Um, but they're, they're, you know, you can't circle that as a W anymore. Yeah. Um, I think probably of all the teams, UCLA, uh, you know, I think they had the lowest margin of victory. Uh, yeah but beating a good coastal Carolina team. So, and you can, you know, never count out Chip Kelly, Oregon state. I mean, they're the ones that probably have the most, uh, uh, you know, kind of chip on their shoulder to want to get up to that, that next level. And by all means they could, Yeah, um, it'll be a fascinating storyline 
to wa- witness both Oregon State and Washington State being the two teams that uh, uh, have been royally <laughs> disadvantaged by by the conference realignment. Um, if that's the extra chip on the shoulder um, that they play with every week, I mean, Oregon State's going to be really dangerous. DJ could have been uh, desperately needed in uh, oh my in Durham this last week. <laughs> um, it, it, Mark, I know we can moan, you know, bemoan the reality that the Pac-12 is no longer. Um, but man, what a year to go out! Yeah, like this is this is what we all like. From top to bottom, we're the best conference in 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 college football this year. Not even in question. So, let, let me ask you uh, last question here. Is so we got I mentioned these kind of uh, I guess lower tier teams, but but teams that have some sleeper potential. So four really big non conference games. Uh, the Cougars hosting Wisconsin. They beat yeah. Wisconsin in Madison last year. Wisconsin's got a new coach in Luke Fickle. So. Mm-hmm. They're hoping for a different energy, but but the Cougars get them at home. Uh, you've got Cal gets Auburn at home. Auburn is in a state of rebuilding, also with a first year coach. Hugh Freeze, though, yeah. that guy can that guy can uh, recruit. You've got uh, <laughs> you've got Arizona, who I think has some potential to be a sleeper this year. They're going yeah, they to do. Mississippi State. Also, another first year coach there. Uh, for the Bulldogs. Uh, and then you've got Arizona State and Kenny Dillingham's crew hosting Oklahoma State uh, on Saturday night. So that's four games. If you had to say one of those teams, one of those Pac-12 teams gets the win, who are you placing your money on? Washington State, Cal, Arizona, or Arizona State? Uh, if I was to pick any one of those to win the game, I'd pick Arizona at Mississippi State. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think Wisconsin takes care of the Cougs. I think uh, Cal comes back to earth. Uh, you know, Mississippi State, um, you know, could potentially still be reeling from, uh, you know, losing Mike Leach. So we'll see. I Well, yeah, no, that's the game I think they win. Gotcha. Okay. So what do you think? Man, I would I I want the Cougs to win. I would love that for them. I think I would say I probably feel the most confident in Cal against Auburn just because I think there's the most potential for Auburn to be a little bit of a train wreck. Uh I think Wisconsin is going to have immediate improvement under Luke Fickle and and really have their act together. Uh, the only thing about the Arizona game is it's on the road. That That's my yeah. only hesitation there. Uh, Arizona State, I think I, I just have less confidence in than those no. other three. So. Agreed. Especially since they're playing a true freshman quarterback. So, yeah. Well, JJ, this has been a lot of fun. Obviously, we missed our, our good friend Warren uh, and my – my apologies, Warren. We didn't read your uh, your manifesto on the air here, uh, but he had a lot of really positive things to say about how excited he was about the Huskies coming off of that performance um, against Boise State. Uh, said dog fans should feel very good with this win against a good team. Uh, tune up next week to work on a running game. 
which you mentioned, JJ, but uh, yep. we should be good to go to play the Spartans on the road in two weeks. So um, Warren is excited. We're both excited about the state of our teams and the state of the, the conference in general. Uh, any any closing thoughts before we call it, JJ? Buckle up. It's going to be a crazy ride. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Should Should be a really fun season. We're just getting warmed up. We'll see how the Ducks do with a real road game and uh, we look forward to talking about it all next week on the dog and duck show. So for all my duck fans, I'd say go ducks for all my Husky fans. Go dogs. All right. We'll see you next time.